0: WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: However, the question we want to ask this morning is, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Uh, there's a lot of silly things, uh, silly myths and ideas about heaven, but what is heaven like? Now, I believe in chapter 21 of Revelation, we can very easily see some things if we outline it in a clear way, because I think in verses 1 through 8, there are three features of heaven. It is a place of beauty, it is a place of blessing, and it is a place for believers. If you get a handle on that, you, you can get a picture of it.
2: We probably all find ourselves wondering from time to time what heaven is like, don't we? As a result, people over the years have concocted all sorts of unfounded notions about heaven. Over the past three verse-by-verse broadcasts, Pastor Steve Kreloff has put a bunch of myths to rest and has begun to paint a more accurate picture of that blessed place, a picture based on biblical facts rather than human conjecture. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The whole reason for our name, verse by verse, is because that's how Pastor Steve teaches the Bible. In the first three broadcasts of this series about heaven, though, Pastor Steve based his sermon on several passages, but today he's back to his expository ways. We'll turn to Revelation chapter 21 to examine the picture of heaven painted by the Apostle John, who was almost overwhelmed by heaven's beauty.
1: Well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. And uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, but we're going to cover a lot more than that in this chapter. Revelation 21, verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. An epitaph on a gravestone read these words. Remember, friends, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, thus you must be, so be prepared to follow me. However, beneath these haunting words on the gravestone were two more lines, apparently added by a concerned reader. And the lines went like this. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Because the Bible teaches that when we die, we either go to hell Or we go to heaven. There's no in-between. There's no third alternative. It's heaven or hell. And hell is described in the Bible as a place of conscious torment, a place where people who have never accepted Christ's gift of eternal life, never accepted that Christ paid for their sins and in repentance and faith have trusted Him, those people end up actually paying for all of their sins for all of eternity. There is no repentance in hell and so they keep paying and paying and paying an eternal price that's what hell is like very briefly but what is heaven like last week we began a study on on heaven i think it's a subject that's too seldom dealt with and we we learned this we learned that about 600 times the bible mentions heaven well it mentions it in a variety of ways the god of heavens the kingdom of heaven uh it speaks of of the heavens but not until the last two chapters of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, are we given a somewhat detailed uh, description of heaven. Now why? Why do you have to wait till Revelation 21 and 22 to get a detailed description of heaven? Well, let me just explain the book of Revelation to you. The people who this was written to uh, were God's people the church who were suffering in the first century. They were going through some real persecution by the emperor of Rome. They were... uh, uh, going through some very difficult times. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, we're given the outline for the whole book. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, and if you were here on Wednesday, you would know this. This is the inspired outline of the book, the only book in the Bible that gives you actually an inspired outline. Write therefore the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. That's the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is the things which John saw. And what he saw was a glorified picture of Jesus Christ, not as the lamb who's lowly and who gave his life, but he sees him in all of his glory. He sees Jesus as the conquering king. That's chapter 1. God says, write these things which you've seen. That's what he saw. So he gives us a symbolic description of Jesus Christ as the reigning conqueror in chapter 1. Then he says, and then write the things which are. The things which are. What are the things which are? Well, the present conditions going on in the first century. And so there are seven churches in Asia Minor, really a postal route if you look on the map, beginning with the church at Ephesus, seven churches that had specific messages from Jesus to those churches. And they're relevant for all ages. It's a complete picture of the church, and uh, the Lord puts his, uh, his finger on problem areas and commends them and so forth. That's, that's Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Then he says, and the things which shall take place after these things. After what? After these things being the present. That's the future. And so from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22, you have the future. In chapters 4 and 5, you have a, a picture of, of heaven in the sense of the throne of God. It's not a description of, of heaven per se. It's a description of the throne of God in heaven, where the Lamb is and where the Father is. And then, beginning in chapter 6, all the way through, you have the future. What is entailed in the future? Well, starting with chapter 6, you have the seven-year tribulation period that begins. That's a time in which God will, will uh, uh, pour out His wrath on the, on the earth. The day of the Lord has come. The day in which God intervenes directly into the affairs of men and he pours out his wrath on those who have never trusted Christ. They have rejected Christ. In the meantime, he is bringing Israel to himself. He is converting the Jewish people. He is doing a a work of amazing grace in the hearts of Jewish people as well as other people are going to be saved. Many people are going to be saved during that time period. So that's chapter 6 through 19 is the seven-year tribulation period. We read there about the Antichrist, the beast, who uh, arises the false prophet who is his right-hand religious propaganda man and and, uh, the horrors of what's coming. Then in chapter 20, actually in chapter 19, the Lord returns. In chapter 20, he sets up his kingdom on earth The kingdom that we've been praying for for years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on on earth as it is in heaven, and that is known in a number of ways. You can call it the kingdom, you can call it the messianic age, Uh, most of the time we call it the millennial kingdom because it is a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth as he rules out of the earthly city of Jerusalem. He sits on David's throne, he is David's greater son, not only is he lord, but he is a descendant in the flesh of, uh, of King David. So that throne is unoccupied right now. It will be occupied then. That's the millennial kingdom in chapter 20. Now we come to chapters 21 and 22, and they cover what heaven is like as we move into what the Bible or theologians refer to as the eternal state, the eternal state, because at the end of the millennial kingdom, there is what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment in which those who have never accepted Christ appear before Jesus. He is the judge. All judgment has been given to him. They look him uh, right in the face. He looks them in the face. And that's where the final sentencing to the lake of fire takes place. The great white throne judgment. Then we move into the eternal state, and that's where we are as we look at chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. Now last week we, we looked at one question. One question, and hopefully we answered it for you, and it's a question that, that goes like this. What is heaven? When we're talking about heaven, are we talking about a state of mind? Are we talking about uh, uh, some kind of a, a spiritual realm? What are we talking about? Heaven is the abode of God. There are three heavens Paul speaks of. You have the atmosphere, then you have beyond that where the, uh, the stars and the planets and the, the moon, the sun. Uh, and then you have the third heaven, and that would be where, where the abode of God is. Another name for that is paradise, and uh, that's heaven. That's heaven where God dwells, and though he is omnipresent, that's where his throne is, and I can't figure that out. I don't understand how that how you can be omnipresent, yet that's where your throne is, but that's what the Bible teaches, and we gave some uh, rather incomplete illustrations of this because no illustration is perfect. And uh, heaven is a real place, and that's where the abode of God is. And that's where we're going to be the moment we, we die, absent from the body, present with the Lord, in our spirit. Our body is either goes, goes into the earth or is cremated or whatever, and then, and then at the resurrection we're going to get a new body and be reunited with our spirit, and thus we'll be with the Lord like that forever and ever. But that's what heaven is. However, the question we want to ask this morning is, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Uh, there's a lot of silly things, uh, silly myths and ideas about heaven, but what is heaven like? Now, I believe in chapter 21 of Revelation, we can very easily see some things if we outline it in a clear way, because I think in verses 1 through 8, there are three features of heaven. It is a place of beauty, it is a place of blessing, and it is a place for believers. If you get a handle on that, you you can get a picture of it. It is a place of beauty, a place of blessing, a place for believers. Uh, the first eight verses very very generally give us that, and then we'll fill in some of the details with the rest of chapter 21. So let's look, first of all, what is heaven? It's a place of incredible beauty. Remember we said last week that some people think heaven is just bland, it's, it's kind of gray, it's black and white and gray, kind of like an old movie that doesn't have much color. Uh, it's not like that at all. It is breathtaking. We've never seen anything like it. Revelation 21, verse 1, John writes, the apostle John, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now, following the the vision of the great white throne judgment, the apostle John sees another vision. He's given a vision. Uh, It has to be a vision, because he, at this time, is on an island called Patmos, banished for his faith. And so God gives him a vision. He never moves from the island of Patmos. He just has a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this new heaven and new earth have been made by God in order to replace the old heaven and the old earth. In fact, if you turn back to chapter 20, verse 11, you read, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, and from whose presence heaven and earth fled away, and no place was found them. So apparently this takes place out in space and God's going to uh, uh, create something for it to take place. But heaven and earth is, is gone as we know it. Now this probably doesn't mean, uh, as some people teach, but I don't think so, it probably doesn't mean that the old created world was annihilated, but rather it was completely transformed by God. Uh, There are some who teach that it was annihilated. Uh, I I don't think so. I think it's just transformed. And the reason I I do that, uh, the reason I believe it will be a rearrangement rather than a complete uh, change uh, uh, is because of 2 Peter. If you look at 2 Peter, just a few books back, 2 Peter chapter 3, there is a comparison that Peter makes, an analogy between the flood and uh, the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to create. And so he says in verse 6, speaking of the flood through which the world, Second Peter 3, verse 6, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. In other words, just as the flood caused the earth to be completely rearranged, all so it was rearranged so fire will change the heavens and the earth. That's the analogy. It wasn't that God did away completely with the old earth. It's that he rearranged it through the flood. Today it is nowhere like what it used to be, and that's why scientists have some problems in dating and things like that. They generally don't believe uh, in a flood if you are um, a secular-minded scientist. Notice chapter 3, verse 10. He said, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? The present heavens and and earth will burst into flames, not a flood. The flood was years ago, but it will burst into flames at the ends of the millennial kingdom. And out of those flames, he says, uh, will emerge a wonderful new world. Now, that's the analogy. And that's why I don't think we're talking about annihilation, but a, a rearrangement, a purging. Now, you don't have to fear a nuclear war. You don't have to fear that a nuclear war will destroy this earth. It will not. God will do it for us. God will do it. We won't have to. God will do it after the millennial kingdom. Now, verse 13 of Second Peter says, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. By the way, Isaiah chapter 65 and 66 predicted this. The Old Testament Jewish person understood this. Maybe not all the details, but he understood that it was predicted. You can look that up on your own. And now Peter says that a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells will emerge. You see, God has been waiting for the moment in history in which sin has run its course and then he's going to cleanse the world from filth and sin and usher in a righteous world that will never be tainted by sin. And that's why we don't learn about the details of heaven until Revelation 21 and 22 because God has waited for the course of history to be run and uh, now things are such that sin will no longer uh be involved. It'll be a perfect environment for God's people who at this point will have no capacity to sin. We will all be, those of us who know Christ, will be in glorified bodies. There'll be no sin, no bent on sinning. Temptation won't mean a thing to you. You will be perfect. Now, the key word in understanding the new heavens and the new earth is the word new. It's very interesting. In the Greek language, the word new uh, means new in terms of, of quality. In other words, not just new in terms of time. We're not talking about new in terms of it It's just happened now. The thought here is that God is going to bring a different world into existence, one which we don't have right now. It's new in quality. It's the same word that you're to say you're a new creature in Christ, not just that you're a new believer. It's that the quality is is new. And While not much is revealed, as we look back at chapter 21, while not much is revealed about the physical changes that will take place on the earth, we are told of one significant change in verse 1. He says at the end of verse 1, And there is no longer any sea. Now you might have just overlooked that or or just read it and thought, So what? No longer any sea. Uh, But the Bible says that. Why? Why is this important? At present, about 70% of the earth's surface is covered by water. In the new earth, this will be changed. Revelation twenty-two one says that there's a river, but no longer any sea, no longer any ocean. That's what he's saying. Now, why won't there be any sea? Uh, specifically, we're not told. We're not told, but let me give you uh, some plausible explanations. And I think this is right, even though we're not explicitly told. For one thing, in ancient times, the sea was a somewhat negative thing. It really was a negative thing since it was dangerous. People would be lost at sea. They didn't have a compass, and ships could be lost at sea. Uh, storms, things of that. Uh, so it was very dangerous. The sea spoke of danger. Also, the sea was used to establish boundaries between nations. There was a natural boundary. So I believe what, what the Lord is saying here is, is that uh, seas created fear, and it separated people. And it may very well be that no sea in the new earth means no more fear, And no more hostility between men. In fact, guys, now you can, at that point, you can all wear your no fear t-shirts and uh, have some integrity. Because then there'll be no fear. No fear at all. No fear. And no separation. Remember, where was John? He was on an island in the Mediterranean separated by water from his beloved flock back in Ephesus. So that would be very significant. No fear. Now you may wonder, why is it important at all about the earth, Who cares about the earth? We're going to be in heaven. Well, let me explain. Let me explain. We are on the earth, but heaven is going to come down to the earth. Verse 2. And I saw, John writes, a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. You realize what John is saying? John sees a city. In this vision, he sees a city. It is a holy city, and it is descending from heaven to earth. That's why the earth is important. The city is called the New Jerusalem, in contrast to the present Jerusalem that we know, that ancient city, which is now a modern city, a a city in the Middle East, a hotbed of activity. This is the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem... Is where we will dwell for all of eternity. It is the city the Bible says that, the, that Abraham looked for, the patriarchs looked for, a city whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9, 10, and 16 all speak of a city. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 speaks of the church being in uh, the city. I take it as the capital city of heaven. It is not all of heaven, it is a city. And I take it that when Jesus said in John 14, don't worry, don't fret, trust me on this, believe me, I would not deceive you. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And I believe that the place he's been preparing for 2000 years is this city. He, will, he said, in my father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. As I told you the other week, that the, uh, the, the imagery in the ancient days was that when a man took a bride and brought her home, uh, he didn't move around the corner from his father, he built on to his father's house. So literally, in his father's house were many rooms, they just built on and on and on. In my father's house are many rooms, really not mansions, but rooms, many dwelling places though it'll be greater than any mansion we could ever imagine. So that's the city. That's the city. And it is this city which now comes down from heaven to the new earth. And the thing that strikes John first about this city is its beauty. Notice he said it is made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. To John, the new Jerusalem looks as beautiful as a bride on her wedding day. Now think of it. Have you ever seen an ugly bride I've done many weddings, many weddings. I've never seen a bride that I've looked at and said, she can do better. Um, I'm just wondering how far to take this. But uh, <laughs> there are some brides who might not look too good before and might not look too good after, but they look great on their wedding. And that's what John is saying. She's a, she's a bride. It's, it's adorned. The city is so beautiful, it reminds John, of a gorgeous bride on her wedding day.
2: One of my favorite hobbies is landscape photography. I've enjoyed capturing images of some incredible places, the Grand Canyon, Banff National Park in Canada, Hawaii, a couple of Caribbean islands, the city of Prague, they're all breathtaking places. And then to think that all of those amazing places are made imperfect by the curse of sin and they will pale in beauty compared to heaven. Wow, that's going to be amazing, isn't it? Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more for us from God's Word about the beauty of heaven on our next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more information about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. If you'd like to help us keep Verse by Verse on the air, you can give by phone or online. Call Lakeside at the number I just gave you or go to the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. We appreciate your generosity and your prayers. And don't forget about our message archive page. There's a large library of previous broadcasts kept there so you can catch up on anything you missed or want to review. That web address is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. What's usually the first thing we hear from a baby when it's born? Right, crying. Not just a whimper either, it's a lusty, all out, loud as I can crying. And as we grow, we find new reasons to cry. I skinned my knee. I didn't get the ice cream I wanted. My friend said something cruel. And then it gets serious. My mother died. My child died. My spouse left me. I just learned I have cancer life is full of tears isn't it but it won't always be so and as we've learned today heaven is a place of great beauty on our next verse by verse pastor Steve will be showing us from Scripture that the time is coming when we will never again have any reason to cry